0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 75.
1: Welcome to restaurantunstoppable.com. Listen to successful restaurant professionals as they discuss the tools, tactics, and
0: services they use to better lead, manage, and market their restaurants. Join our community and make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. Here's your host. Eric Yo, what's going on? All you unstoppable restaurant professionals, it's your host, Eric Cacciatore, and this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry, and we do that by listening to the stories, and taking the advice from some of the industry's most successful restaurant professionals. Uh, So, I have a great show for you today. Uh, It's really going to be a doozy, but I have to remind you to find me on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and give me that five-star review. If you are finding value in these episodes, that's how you show your support. And, um, if there's any product or service or a book that we talk about, please use my links because that's how you support me. Uh, I'm doing this out of pocket right now and I want to continue to deliver these episodes in high volume, but I need the support. So, uh, do that. Connect with me on Facebook at Restaurant Unstoppable and, um, on Twitter at Eric Cacciatore, and uh, it's spelled just like the chicken. So that's all I have for you today. Uh, we have this great guest. He is uh, going to be speaking this upcoming Chef's Collaborative Summit in Denver, Colorado. So if you haven't heard about that, make sure you do some research because you don't want to miss it. Uh, it's going to be a great way to learn about sustainability and how you can engage with your communities and support your purveyors. So with that said, enjoy today's show. <laughs> With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Michael Heim. Michael, how are you, and are you ready to drop some restaurant bombs of knowledge?
1: I am great. Thanks for asking. I'm ready. Let's do it.
0: All right, you're going to blow the show up. I can't wait. So here at Restaurant Unstoppable, we are always looking for guests that can bring a unique flair to the mix, and Michael fits that mark. All starting with a horticulture class in college and ever since, Michael has been hooked on botany, mycology, and wild foods. Combining his passion for wild foods with his passion for mixology, he has been an outstanding contributing factor to the success of The Kitchen in Boulder, Colorado. So, this is just a quick introduction. There's so much that you bring to the table. Why don't you tell us how you got into this industry, how you got to where you are today, and um, what you got going on for you.
1: So, I started... Serving tables at a little Mexican restaurant in Omaha, Nebraska, and I worked there for about two weeks before I realized that it, uh, I would prefer to work at a place that I can make more money. <laughs> and I guess I, I got into the month I got into the industry because it was easy to go to school. Also, it you know like school in the daytime, work at night. It made perfect sense. And each. Time I made transition, I would make it into a, a nicer and more interesting restaurant to keep it interesting. So I can't remember the first part of the question, but I got into it because it was easy and I liked people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I soon realized that I liked good food. So.
0: Sorry to interrupt, but, you know, you say it it comes easy to you, but, you know, it's not easy for everyone. That's one thing I have to point out that either in this industry and especially in the front of house, either you have it or you don't. And some people have that social intelligence about them and other people don't. So uh, that's just interesting that you say that, you know, it's easy because some people don't find it easy.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I think you're right. I do I do see people come into the business who think it would be fun to to do, and a lot of times they're good at it, and other times people fail at it because they don't have that social intelligence. I think that's a pretty interesting point. I never thought of. Yeah. Um. Or I never thought of it in terms of social intelligence. So yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, I think that's dead on. Go you go out to dinner sometimes and you get a person who's a robot. And mm-hmm. at work, we call them uh, robot waiters. Uh, and we always want to avoid <clears throat> being one because, you know, who wants to talk to a robot when you can talk to a living and breathing human being?
0: Exactly. And let's talk a little bit about uh, not just, you know, your, your background with serving, but you bring something unique to the table. And I uh, want to talk a little bit about that.
1: Sure. Yeah, you kind of mentioned it earlier. I <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I started – uh, getting interested in wild foods about five years ago, um, before I moved to Colorado, I was working at a really great place in Omaha called Ems Pub. And I started to pay more attention to the food that was coming to the restaurant. And oftentimes in the springtime, you would see these people, these weird looking guys with garbage bags full of Morel mushrooms. And I didn't know what a Morel mushroom was. And I didn't know that you could go find them in my neighborhood. Um, And then, by extension, I didn't know you could make a bunch of money (laughs) uh, selling them and foraging them and all that. So I started to take notice, and I had a friend of mine uh, take me foraging uh, for morel mushrooms along the Platte River in, in Nebraska. And I was immediately taken it's mm-hmm. it's a pretty special thing when you're walking through the woods with a purpose and and all of a sudden this mushroom reveals itself to you uh, I was immediately hooked and um ever since i've just been i've been interested in finding out where the wild mustards are and where the you know wild oregano or um, the chanterelle mushroom, or the porcini mushroom, or the, any of that stuff. You know, after I moved to Colorado, I joined the Colorado Mycological Society, and I was able to deepen my knowledge.
0: Being able to bring in botany and mycology, and uh, to make yourself unique and to separate yourself from the competitors, that it's not enough to be just good at the basics. Today, you need to really try to set, separate yourself, and by bringing this knowledge that you have. In combining it with your uh, mixology knowledge, you really bring a unique flair, and that's awesome. And it's really cool to hear what you're doing over there at the kitchen.
1: Well, what's cool about working there is that they're totally open to all of that. Our owners are psyched on that kind of stuff. And you know, some of our executives, for example, the, the head chef of all the kitchens, he and I go foraging at least once a week together. And I don't know. I don't think it's because it, it's hard to say. We both love it it's a great way to spend, just, you know, your morning is spending it in the yeah, woods. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, if we do find something great, the restaurant will buy it from us. And then, you know, if I find something even cooler, we'll incorporate it into a cocktail or make some bitters out of it or something like that. It's pretty cool that we have that kind of freedom to do it and that they encourage that kind of thing.
0: And Michael, I have to point out that you know you're really fortunate to be able to incorporate your passion and what it is you love to do, uh, your foraging, with your profession. Uh, I mean, it's that ability to make what you are passionate about tie into your work that gives you that competitive edge. Because it's not work for you; it's what you love to do, and I mean that's what's gonna make you pull ahead of your competitors. So that's really cool. So, so this is a motivational and inspirational podcast. And I would love for you to share with us a mantra or a su- success quote that kind of you live by. So what do you have? Um, I don't
1: know if it's succinct, but I can tell you that um, there's a few things that I live by when I'm on the floor or behind the bar. And I would say for any front of the house person who is interested in, in doing you know, who, who's interested in being in the front of the house and wants to be social and wants to get you know, ultimately paid for being social, I would say be as genuine as you can because I know that when I'm out there and I'm at a table sitting as a guest, I'm pretty aware of the people who are just phoning it in and, and not genuine, um, and it really steals away from my experience. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that I'm looking for some mind-blowing experience every time. Which is why I just say, you know, be genuine, you know, be yourself, you know, obviously be good at your job, but I don't want, like I said earlier, a robot. I want somebody who can connect with me, um, even if I'm just in for a burger. So that would be one component of, of a mantra, I would say, is just be genuine. And then as far as, you know, any other advice I would have or, or mantra I could give to anybody interested in the business is, you know, it's a fast-paced industry and you know, chefs are working real fast to get things out on the on the plates, bartenders are working really fast to get things into the into the vessel. So I would say there's an urgency that needs to happen when you're on the floor because these other components are coming together at a very quick rate and you know, if you slack around and you don't get it to the table in a timely way, it doesn't make any sense for them to be busting their balls to do it if you're just gonna take your time. Mm-hmm. So my point I guess, is the mantra, it'd be graceful urgency. Don't look like a crazy man running around on the floor, but, you know, get things done in a graceful and timely way. So graceful urgency and be genuine.
0: I love it, man. It, that's such great, you know, um, both great mantras to live by in this industry. And I really do feel like being genuine is at the core of being hospitable. Uh, you have to be real. Yeah. And yeah, you I mean you just nailed it. And, uh, you know, it's I, one of the reasons why I love the indie restaurant industry too, is because you have a chance in these independently owned restaurants to kind of have the chance to be yourself. And a lot of chains or corporations, you have to kind of go along with that corporate image, and you have to pretend to be something you're not. But that's what I love about these these uh, independently owned operations, where you have a chance. Like the, the owners see, they want to bring out the uniqueness, the the genuine. Uh, aspects of their employees so that's so cool and uh, like you say graceful urgency uh, all incredible you know mantras live by thank you for sharing both of those with us so now that you shared these mantras with us um, let's talk about your it factor what is it about you that you think has made you so successful in this industry
1: yeah I have a skill that I feel very fortunate to have um, and that I'm able to attune to my guests um, and and Pretty much every time I can I can figure out what they need from me. Not specifics. I don't know that that person wants a gin martini or that person wants you know X Y or Z. My approach has been to feel the guest's energy and to to relay that or re- reflect that back to them. Mm-hmm. So I can tell when somebody wants to be wined and dined. I can tell when somebody doesn't want anything to do with me, and they are there. Specifically for service, and they want to get in, they want to get out. I have a pretty good knack for that, and that's been my talent, I think, and that's why I've been successful. And I think it all boils down to being genuine. Because if you're putting up a big front, and if you want, you know, to put on your show, you don't have any space for that uh, that attunement to happen, and you're you're unable to actually make that connection and be like, oh, okay, this guy, he just wants to have his cheeseburger, his glass of wine, if he wants to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you if you're so worried about, like, the spiel um, and and this and that, then you're not going to catch that this guy doesn't have, you know, any interest in connecting with you. Or, you know, if you... And the same works in the other way. If, if, if you know, if you're so worked up on, oh, i got to say the special this way and it's got to be said, all the details, you know, I'm going to get gummed up on this. You're not going to be able to connect with that guest and, and feel that that person wants something else because you're all worried about what's in your head instead of what's in the, in the energy between you.
0: You know, absolutely, Michael. And, you know, there's no more important time than in the present. And it, what you're saying just reminds me so much of this book that I finished reading, uh, Daniel Goleman's Social Intelligence, and you have no idea just how socially intelligent you are. Uh, everything you're saying is verbatim in the text of you know, you you have to be in tune to what he calls the low road, which is basically the body language that's going on between you and the people you interact with. Uh, you have to be able to pick up on those social cues that not everybody has the ability to do, and uh, to to be able to instinctually know what your customers want is an incredible skill. Uh, so I'm just so excited you shared that. So tell us about a time that this it factor of you know being attuned to your guests helped you get to where you are today or bring us to a story like bring us down to the moment of when you use this it factor
1: there's one story that comes to mind i'm not sure if it hits the mark of what you're asking but i could share it anyway years ago i misread the table um you know i just got done talking about how reading the table is the Mm -hmm. most important thing and and what happened was i had this really great um rapport with this table it was three gals and a guy you know, we were having a really good time. They were having a great time. They they were drinking, uh, I think it was like a Friday or Saturday night. There was a show that just let out. We had just cut two of our other servers, so there was only two of us left on the floor, so we kind of got ambushed. And I was their server, and, and like I said, we had a good rapport. And at one point, I was standing near their table, um, and I wasn't... Actually, looking at their table, I was kind of surveying the, the background of my other tables, and I didn't realize this. But when I returned to the table, they had one of the wo- women was uh, upset at me. She, you know, and I didn't realize that she was being serious. She was, she accused me of being, you know, uh, that I was ignoring the table um, when I was standing there and just kind of looking past them. Uh, and you know, I assured them that that was not the case. Uh, but she kind of pushed pushed the issue, mm-hmm. and 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 so I was also around the same time where I was getting interested in therapy and and Buddhism and things like that. And and I assured her again, you know, no, I of course I wasn't ignoring you, you know. And then I after she continued to push the issue, I I blatantly just said to her because I thought of. I thought our rapport was there. I thought the table and I had a connection. Um, I told her, I said, no, ma'am, the world doesn't revolve around you. Zing! Everyone else at the table, basically, their jaws dropped. And I don't think anyone had ever talked to her before like that. And I guess why I tell you this story is that I wasn't fired. You know, I I didn't get in trouble. I immediately told my manager, well, this thing happened. It went totally south. Um, and, you know, I was able to win back the table shortly after that because, you know, I wasn't able to win her 100%, but the rest of the table understood. And the point I'm trying to make is that it is, it's a, at the table, it's a, it's a give and it's a take. It's a, it's a relationship, essentially mm-hmm. two hours that you're in with the people who are paying you for an experience and yourself. And, and it's a give and take and uh, it's not always going to work out. Most times it will. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but oftentimes I, I boil it down to it's a human interaction. And I don't know. I don't really know the point of my story except that's one example that it blew up in my face. And and I was able to, like, kind of smooth it out and everybody was fine. How did you smooth
0: it out, though? You said that you it went sour, but you used your if factor, which is your ability to be attuned and to, um, you know, reflect and be a att- with your guests so what what did you do to win them back I'm curious
1: I just assumed that I I leveled with them you know and I think that's the part of being genuine that I'm talking about Mm -hmm. like you know we're we're all humans at this table Um, I just happen to be wearing an apron you know so I think I was probably like apologetic and let them know that I misread them you know I think um, and that's another you know to go back to my earlier point is often when I'm training people and they they're you know you're I make it a point to tell them to be genuine and to realize that it's it's not a life-and-death situation. Mm-hmm. People are not going to die if they don't get their lemon and their water right away. You know, like, people get all super excited and worried and nervous and scared to serve at these nice restaurants. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's we're privileged. Sorry, I didn't say that, but we are privileged in this hemisphere. And, yeah. People aren't gonna die. People can get, you know, reflection back to them that they're being an asshole. I'm not <laughs> sure if I can say that, but, not you know. Sure.
0: It's all right. Anyway. So, you know, just one thing I want to point out because you talk about being genuine and when you're genuine, the thing that is cool about being genuine is you're also authentic. And if you're being genuine and you get into a situation where things go awry or not according to plan or there's a miscommunication and you accidentally insult somebody, if it was truly an accident and you didn't mean to be insulting, they're going to see that you're authentic when you are actually sorry for what you did. And when they see yeah. that you you like, truly are like, oh my god, what did I do? I'm so sorry. I thought we had this rapport going. I thought you know you're going to see this as a joke. They're going to see that you're authentic and that you really do care and that you are upset about whatever it is. And when you have right. that genuineness and that authenticity about you, it's people can just pick up on it. And um, yeah. that's is an incredible, yeah, just an incredible feature to have in this industry. So that's really great. And um, the next question I ask my guests, Michael is career failures i kind of feel like you just shared one with us but you show us how you you bounce back so um can you think of a story where you just failed real hard like just learned something from this failure so what is the failure and what did you learn
1: i worked at a place in omaha for eight years uh, and another place and i had dined all over before as well and i was i felt like you know i was at the top of my game And when I moved to Boulder, I didn't even really, I mean, yeah, I made some, I made some emails, you know, letting certain restaurants that I had researched know that I was moving here and that I'd likely be applying at their place to be on the lookout for my resume. And I guess, I don't know if it's a failure or more of a, maybe a humbling moment, but, you know, I, I I went to several of the restaurants I was, you know, studying before I got to, to Boulder or at least not studying, but, you know, researching. And and I didn't get a job for three months. And, you know, I went to a place called Frosco, which is, you know, one of the top restaurants in the country, from what I hear. I still haven't dined there. And I went there to apply, and I had my, you know, cover letter and my resume, and my ego was there, and, you know, they they sat me down, and they basically gave me a two- or three-page test on food and wine, and that's their focus, right? Mm-hmm. One. And I I was so humbled because I wasn't able to complete most of it. And and so I walked out of there, you know, quite humbled. And, and that's when I realized that I was in a totally different place and that where I came from wasn't as amazing as I thought. So I would say that my failure um, was ego. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I, I had it. You know, I was. You know, this is my thing. I'm really good to, with people. Um, when I interviewed with the kitchen for the first time, I didn't get the job, mm-hmm. um, and that, that was like a big blow to my ego as well. Um, I ultimately got a job there, and I've been there for three years now. But you know, I would say that's
0: probably my biggest failure. In like one run-on sentence, what was the the biggest takeaway from this failure? I mean, aside from kind of being humbled. Did you learn anything that you took away from this?
1: You know, put your ego at the door when you walk into a place and you're trying to get a job, or even if you get the job.
0: Exactly. You've been incredible so far, but now we've reached the part of the show which is called Knowledge Bombs. And this is where you just drop some big ol' bombs of knowledge on us and a couple run-on sentences. Are you ready to blow this place up? Uh, yeah, I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. I cannot wait. Let's do it. What advice do you have for f- like funding a restaurant? Uh, with your experience in being in this industry, what would you suggest people do to get that money to open their restaurant?
1: How do they get money? I don't know. That's not my expertise. I'm just you know i fortunate to work at a place that has deep pockets, so I never had to worry about it.
0: What do you um, know about this, this uh, restaurant, The Kitchen, uh, about their history? How did they get the funding? Uh,
1: one of the owners was... A, a former executive or owner at PayPal. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a tiny little company called PayPal. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, I've, um, I've heard it once. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that there's money there. Yep. Um, I know that there's money in in a, another company called Tesla. And mm-hmm. It's related to the, you know, so there's money there. Um, there's investing in
0: entrepreneurial. Yeah. So in a uh, roundabout way, like you could just say a good way to find the funding is to align yourself with somebody that has the shared passion and the, the pockets. Um, and then that
1: would be a perfect answer.
0: There you go. Awesome. All right. The next question I have for you, Michael, what advice do you have for hiring good people? I'm not sure if you're involved in the hiring process, but I know you have that experience with the interviewing and so what do you have for us? What advice?
1: I I think staging is a very important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Having somebody—if no, if you don't know the word—people come and they basically work for free for a few hours, and you get to feel their energy. You get to see how they interact with people. Um, I think that's a great start. Obviously, looking at a resume is good too. Uh, I think you know, getting to talk with somebody and to see if they are. Are the, the nervous robot or mm. if they're a genuine human being? And if I were running a place, I would look for the genuine human being that has a, a, a solid foundation of knowledge.
0: Absolutely, you can always train people with technical skills, but you can't train attitude. That's innate. You either mm-hmm. have it or you don't. So, incredible advice. Um, when you find good people, what is your advice for keeping them on your team?
1: I like this question because uh, you know I've been in the industry for about 15 years. Run a house. Um, and for about 12 of those years, I've worked at places where you basically had to fend for yourself uh, for the food. Uh, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, there are no breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the cigarette smokers get their breaks. But, uh, you know, people who don't smoke cigarettes, they work for their seven, eight, eight nine-hour shifts without getting a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, The the reason I mention that is at the end of all of our shifts, day or night, brunch, lunch, or dinner at the kitchen, um, the chefs make us a humongous, beautiful meal with all the delicious food that they get from the farms. Um, And we sit down and we eat. Mm -hmm. And and I don't necessarily think it's just the food that keeps us around, that we are rewarded at the end of our shift with food. But for me, the most important thing about working at the kitchen besides you know, obviously making a living is, is to be able to sit down with my amigos at the end of a shift and talk about our, our, you know, the war or the battle that we just went through Um, to unwind and to have, you know, that community. It's, it's really great. Um, and that's where I think I stay. If we didn't have family meal, I would not work at the kitchen.
0: Awesome. I love it. You know, and it kind of taps into Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the top of that peak of needs. Is the sense to feel belonging and to have that camaraderie, so that that is so important. That does keep people around. That's what makes us human. We we are pack animals. We need to have that sense. So very important. Thank you, yeah. for it. You kind of touched upon this earlier. Uh, you know when you said you have to have graceful energy. But what advice do you have for teamwork and getting through those rushes and those really like jam times, or maybe when you're finding yourself getting in the weeds? How do you get out of it?
1: Yeah, graceful urgency. Um, So how do you get out of the weeds? Well, I think it all boils down to communication. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't think the mark of a strong server or bartender is somebody who tries to do everything on their own. Um, That's nearly impossible and usually will sink the ship. So I think a huge component to a successful, busy floor is communicating. Um, and not only, you know, being able to say, Hey, you know, Jason, I need this right now. Can you do this for me? But to be on the other side of it and be able to respond to, Hey, Michael, you know what could really help me right now is this. Can you do this? Mm-hmm. And, and, if, and if I can do it, then I'm going to say, Yes, done. If I cannot do it, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I cannot do it. It's just very quick, immediate conversations that need to happen um in the in the thick of it and, and without those conversations the ship just sinks. So yeah. I think first and foremost, communication. Hey, we're out of this. Or hey, listen, um, you know, this table right here needs this for me and I can't do it. Can you do it?
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Sometimes you get in gyms, you might notice somebody isn't as busy as you. Uh don't be afraid to ask. And vice versa, if you see somebody in a gym, don't be afraid to ask if they need help. Where this is a you know yeah. One for all and all for one, right?
1: Yeah, the mark of a good server is somebody who is not afraid to ask for help.
0: You got it, man. All right. The next question I have for you is on the topic of restaurant resources. Can you think of a book or maybe it's a website or a magazine that you would suggest to our listeners to pick up as a resource to learn?
1: Well, I think you already listed it. Um, I have never read... Past the first few chapters, but I, I do know that you listed on your website uh, "Setting the Table" by Danny Myers is mm-hmm. probably like, you know, the book for for hospitality. You know, I I don't I think you know if you're interested in food, I think um, depending on what kind of restaurant you work at, Omnivore's Dilemma I thought was really a powerful book for me. That actually gave me more inspiration to stick around in the in the industry.
0: Yeah, Michael, those are both incredible books. I've heard a lot about Omnivore's Dilemma. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. My goal is to listen to it on audio when I head out to Denver in a couple of weeks. And uh, have you heard of audiobooks?
1: Yes, I have.
0: Well, I'll tell you right now, if you want to get past the first two chapters of Setting the Table, pick it up on audio by going to www.audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. You can get a free copy of this book on audio, and I'm telling you... uh, It has changed my world listening to books on audio. If you're old-fashioned and you want a hard version of this book, just head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash 75, and all the links to these books will be in the show notes, and there will be a link to audibletrial.com. And by using my links, guys, you're helping me out. Uh, That's how I can keep doing this and keep delivering the content, so please support me uh, at no extra cost to you. That's the really cool part. So what advice do you have for us on the topic of marketing? And don't just say, get on social media. Give us a tactic or a trick or a skill we can use at our restaurants.
1: Um, So I've always been in restaurants that marketing was mostly word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's probably the most powerful way of doing it. Um, We talk a lot about at work, we'll have meetings about, you know, upselling and and if that 's the appropriate thing to do and um, and and what we we've talked about is if we can give good service and give her people a super awesome experience, then obviously they're going to tell more people about that experience um, so I guess my point or my angle i 'm coming from is um, a lot of people have well i don 't know if I could speak for a lot of people, but people have short term uh goals oftentimes in mm-hmm. restaurants where they want to sell them on the most expensive steak and the biggest bottle they can to get, you know, the most tip out of them in that moment. Um, And, you know, that might be what that person wants, that guest. But if you think about upselling in the sense of that guest will come back, Mm -hmm. I will be working here, they will spend more money, um, it's it's another – it takes on a different meaning. So, you know, word of mouth – So if you're able to create this experience, you know, and not trying to sell them the most expensive stuff for short-term gain, but to actually sell them stuff that you believe in, and when they have that and they have that experience and they love that experience, they're going to tell, you know, so many more people, and they're going to come back and ask for you. And that, in my opinion, is upselling, and it's also, um, you know... Marketing.
0: Absolutely, Michael. You couldn't be more spot on. Like when we're upselling, we don't want to be thinking about how we can benefit ourselves, but it's always about how we can benefit the guests and how we can make that experience more memorable. And I think what they call what you described is four walls marketing. And that's what TGI Friday uh, based their whole marketing campaign off of. So thank you for sharing that. It was such incredible advice.
1: Sure.
0: So now let's talk about uh, giving us a completely objective review on a product or service, uh, how we can implement new technologies into our restaurant to be more productive, more proficient, have better communication, uh, and be more profitable. Uh, can you think of any, you know, services or products you can be completely objective on and, uh, suggest to our listeners? Um,
1: I, I, I think schedule fly, we use it at work. Uh, it works pretty well. I haven't tried any other software, um, but it works pretty well. And, you know, uh i think you know we also have an hr um, an hr software that we use for the whole company and and it's called ultipro uh i wish those two were integrated um so that you know we didn't have to ask for time off in both places uh but you know the ultipro is more hr geared and schedulefly is obviously more related to scheduling um so those two pieces of software are are you know, pretty good. I, I, I don't have anything to compare it to. You know, it, it definitely beats uh, the calling tree that I'm used to from some years ago. Um, yeah. Um,
0: so, you say yeah. AltiPro. Can you spell that? Is it A L T I P R O? No, it's
1: U L T I P R O. Okay,
0: awesome. I'll have that in the show notes and I'll look into it because that's the first time it's been mentioned on the show. Thank you. Um, sure. All right. So, what is your best business advice for somebody getting into this industry? Be yourself. Awesome, I mean, you can't, you can't add anything to that. You're just be yourself is exactly right. I couldn't agree more. Just when you're yourself, you don't have to worry about digging yourself out of holes. That's what I love about being right. yourself. If you're authentic, you are who you are. And uh, if you just are honest and truthful all the time, uh, people just warm up to you. And in this industry, it's so important to have people just naturally be attracted to you and by being yeah, yourself. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, my, my ex-wife,
1: she, she had a friend who, <laughs> was always interested in like self-help titles mm-hmm. like you know not writing the book just coming up with the titles um anyway you'll probably want to edit this out but she it's basically the book title was be yourself unless yourself is an asshole mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, I, nah, do I, I don't
0: think I'll edit that out. We're a bunch of restaurant professionals here. Swearing does happen, <laughs> let's be honest. I'll just make sure to put it okay. explicit on the iTunes account there. Great. So, <laughs> all right. So, what, um, I mean, if there's one question that you think I could have asked you that would have brought more value to this interview, what would it be? A
1: question you could ask uh, down the road would be: you know, what kind of trucks pull up to your restaurant for deliveries? Is it, is it a pickup truck with a farmer? Or is it, is it a big giant semi with a giant logo on the side um, and you're getting all of your food from one truck? You know, I don't know how, how I would ask it except, you know, where's the food coming from and, and what kind of relationships do you have with the, the people who are making the food? You know, yeah. I,
0: you know talk, talk a little about why that's so important.
1: Well, I just remember the first time I recognized that, you know, I hadn't seen a Cisco truck at the kitchen um, or, you know... Uh, whatever other corporate food supply chain company truck pulling up. I just remember having having that moment where I was like, oh, you know, it's Wednesday. The farmer's market is over. You know, Tui and Son's farm just pulled up with the stuff they didn't sell to market, and they're going to sell it to, to Chef Paul or to Chef Dennis. Um, and so what's the coolest thing, I guess, about it is having that realization that, you know, I went outside and, you know, the, the farmer – and my chef are both sharing a cigarette right now, you know, <laughs> and, and they're talking about the crops, you yeah. know. And, and so I think to me, when I saw that, I felt, you know, I felt aligned mm. with the restaurant that I was working at, you know. It, yeah. You can open a restaurant with very little – well, I've never opened one, but with some capital. And you can basically just pick from the menu that the corporations, the, you know, the Cisco's of the world – have for you and you know I've had that experience when I've opened bars before where the you know the, the bar the people who are selling you booze are telling you you won't survive if you don't have this kind of well and this kind of product and I, I feel like that probably happens in the restaurant world and in the food part of it as well where you know Cisco is telling you hey you won't survive unless you, you buy this this and this and you know people who want to open a restaurant who maybe have never been able to rep, uh, Work in a restaurant that I've been fortunate to work in, mm-hmm. maybe believe them. And then so it just perpetuates itself and the gnarly, you know, homogenized corporate food supply chain just continues, right?
0: Yeah, man, you got it. And um, I know you said you, you started reading uh, Setting the Table by Danny Myers, and I'm not sure if you got to the point where he talks about enlightened hospitality, but. Basically, as restaurants, we don't just have that obligation to be hospitable towards our guests. It goes – it trickles down all the way to, to being hospitable to your community. And the best way, in yeah. my opinion, to be hospitable to your community is to support your community by taking the the, 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 you know, the goods, the, the food, the meat, the, uh, the products, your, just support your purveyors. Um, and when you yeah. give back to your community, guess what? The more you give, the more you get. And they're going to support so No me. doubt. So that's I mean, I, I, the lesson, yeah. I think. So Agreed um, with you
1: 100%. I know some of these farmers now. It's awesome. When I go to the farmer's market, I sit and stop, stop at one you know a few of the stands and I chat with the farmers. Yeah, man. Um, because of my relationship with them at the restaurant. It's been pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. All right, man. Well, this is where we wrap it up. And we do that by giving you a chance to call somebody out. Who is one restaurant professional in this industry that just has your attention, uh, you think would just make an amazing contribution to the show, someone you admire?
1: Well, uh, I think there's a, a gentleman that I think of immediately, a friend of mine, an actual co-worker, um, also front of house. His name is L.R. Laggy, and, and he's got a really interesting story. He's worked in, in New York um, and and now here, and he's got a really interesting and. Um, concise look at, at hospitality um, awesome. and where he might want to take it. So, you know, he's very passionate about this industry. Um, I think he has a degree in economics from Boston College. Great. and He decided he, he wanted to be in the restaurant world. So he's front of house. I work with him every Friday and Saturday, um, and he's a good dude, and I think he offers a really great insight to um the world of hospitality all right
0: lr laggy brother i'm coming after you i can't wait to get you on the show and um th- this is where we give you the chance michael to uh tell us how we can connect with you i mean you're just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh you know foraging so maybe we can learn something from you with that i know you're speaking at the upcoming chef's Collaborative. Chefs Collaborative in Denver, Colorado, on the 28th to 30th. Where can we connect, and how can we learn more about you and what you can offer us?
1: Uh, I'm offering a – they're calling it a breakout session on the Monday, um, I think it's the 29th. I am um, taking a group of chefs, and I don't know how many people signed up, but my session is full, into the mountains, um, and hopefully the weather permits, that we'll be finding some wild mushrooms hopefully uh some of them will be edible and we will take them to um the monday night dinner um happening at the uh, pastures of plenty i believe um and we'll be eating them so that's that's probably where you'll find me um i you know i'll also sunday night be bartending at the kitchen uh, i know there'll be a lot of people in town uh in boulder so uh you could probably catch me there on sunday night behind the bar awesome. um Yeah, there you go.
0: Great, man. Well, you have been invaluable, and I'm so grateful that you joined this Melting Pot of Mentors. Thank you so much for your time, and peace out.
1: Hey, man. One more thing. I do own a a, a mushroom-growing farm, (laughs) and uh, it's at bouldermushrooms.com. And it was a real pleasure. Thanks for hanging out with me here.
0: No problem. I'll be sure to have all those links in the show notes to help connect with you. Um, And it was my pleasure. Take care cool man Michael such a pleasure having you on the show dude uh, everything you had to say was pure gold and we are all better now after listening to you and your advice so I'm not gonna go on this has been a long show so we'll just keep this short um, having Michael Heim on the show is a part of the bigger picture of trying to spread and create awareness about the Chef's Collaborative Summit taking place in Denver Colorado this year uh, so if you haven't Got on your ticket, and you want to go head out to the summit. Uh, head over. To the show notes, www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash 75, and you will find the links to Chef's Collaborative. And it's not too late to get your tickets. And uh, you can also find links to the books and the services that we discussed in today's episode. If you want to dig deeper and uh, learn how you can leverage these tools and these resources to make your restaurant just a little bit more unstoppable. So until next time, guys, peace out.